So great to be with you. Open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, verse uh, 34 and following. That's where we're going to be today. If you've got your own copy of God's Word or you've got an app, that's all good. It's the same, same text, I hope. Uh, Matthew chapter 10. Uh, I want you to see, and in some way, I'm going to put this on the screen, but I also want you to see that I'm not making up anything that I say today because what, what we're going to find in the words of Jesus are a little controversial, uh, a little, little kind of crazy. And um, I want you to know, like, these, you're not reading some sort of Nazi propaganda. You're reading, I'll make sense in a moment, just trust me. I'll make sense in a moment. You're reading the words of God. A um, little controversy here. And um, I did this week what I always do whenever there's controversy in my life. Uh, I went on Facebook. <laughs> and uh, do you do that? Y'all, you, never mind. I went on Facebook and... Um, to prepare for this message, I, I thought, man, this, what, what Jesus says is kind of crazy here. And so I, I just, it, it hit on something that I, I, I was kind of curious. Am I the only one that feels this way? And so I put out on Facebook a question. I just, I just asked this very basic question. Um, if you could categorize maybe the, the, the felt needs of people around the world, if you could sort of dream up what you think the top three answers are for what people want in this world. What do people want in life? What do people want in the world? Uh, number one answer that I got, I got, I got dozens and dozens of answers, and some of you guys chimed in too, thank you. Um, number one answer for sure was, was uh, not everybody said it this way, but, but it's what it means, immortality. I don't want to die or I want to have a long, healthy life. Anybody up for a little immortality today? Like fountain of youth, I could go for that. I think it's called essential oils now, I think that's what we, what we do. <laughs> so uh, just immortality, stave off death, that would be great. That would be awesome. Uh, second thing was, um, was love. Right, what, do I want, what do I want in this world? I want, I want to feel loved. Uh, some people said it this way. I want to have a family that is a loving family and can love one another no matter what. Love. And we all kind of like, oh, yeah, love. That's such a loving thought. That's such a great thought. And then the third was sort of the cliche answer, but it came up time and time and time again. It lets me know it's still relevant. World peace world peace. Remember the days of pageants when that used to be like the standard? You couldn't win without saying world peace. World peace. That, that there would no longer be wars in this earth. That we'd all just sing kumbaya around a campfire and be good with one another. Just world peace. I just want peace. And uh, I quickly this week realized all of those are in my heart. Like I want those things for my life. Do you? Um, if you? If you don't know, just watch the news and think about your kids. Because for me, there was one, one story came across the news of, of some unrest in some part of northwest Indiana. And I immediately went to the love I have for my daughter and what type of world she's growing up in. And I thought, Jesus, help it not be like this. I want better for this world. I want better for my family. I want better for my life than what we have here. And this is what we've created here in America. We have a document, this this Declaration of Independence, which calls all these things, like, like we can recategorize them, it calls them unalienable rights, that we have the right as American citizens to pursue life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, amen? You're not anti-God if you say amen to that. That's a good thing. That's awesome. We judge countries based upon how many rights they give to their citizens. And so... Um, if there's a lot of rights that you have as, as citizens, you're willing to pay the demands of whatever that country will ask of you. Let me just ask you this. How many people pay, pay, pay taxes? 
no agents here, don't worry. But do you pay taxes? I pay taxes, I pay taxes, I hate paying taxes. Who, who likes paying taxes? Why do we do it? Because we live in a country that has guaranteed us so many rights, the, the rights to things that our hearts desire, so that when the country comes along and demands from us something, a system by which uh, we have to pay back to live here, we all go, seems fair, okay. But take away our rights. And then come ask me for money. And all of a sudden, we got fists up in the air revolting, don't we? We, we go, power to the, to the people. And we overthrow the government and we set up in its place something that restores our rights. So with that in mind, let's read what Jesus says. Matthew 10, 34. Y'all ready? Amen. Some of you are appropriately hesitating. Jesus says this, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What? Just, just like gut level reaction there. We're, we're kind of like, um, that's the Bible? Because it makes perfect sense for us to think of maybe uh, if you were to go home today and hear on the, on the news a report out of North Korea and Kim Jong-un said these words. If he said, um, we're not here for peace, we're here for war. And we're not here for your family, but we want you to disown your family and we want you to be willing to lay down your life for the sake of our kingdom. We would say, yeah, he's a dictator. That's what he says. That's what we expect. But in my Bible, those words are red, which means we think Jesus said them. What a different picture than the long hair, angloed Hollywood Jesus who's hugging a sheep and loving babies. This Jesus has a sword in his hand. And he's come to usher in a kingdom that's a new realm and a new reign and it's not going to cause peace on earth. And, and actually your family might turn on one another and it actually might lead you to the point where you have to give up your life. The question here is, um, why would any of us follow this Jesus? Why would you and I at all, if our desires are peace, life, and family, why would we go after this Jesus who says, not here for peace, you're going to have to give up your family, and you're going to have to give up your life? 
to answer this question, um, Christians in the past have done a couple things. Uh, one thing that Christians have done to sort of understand this is just ignored it. Just flat out, I don't like that. I don't want to think about that. I'm going to go around that, and so I'm not going to preach on that. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to cross that out of my Bible. And unfortunately, that's been the, re- the response of some Christians throughout history. Everybody here agrees that's a bad plan, right? Bad plan? Yeah. Um, the other maybe extreme, the opposite error we could make as well. We could say, uh, well, it's in the Bible. Jesus said it, and that's good enough for me. And I want to appreciate that mentality, but can't we all agree that that is also a little intellectually dishonest as well? You know, that kind of falls short of really working out our faith and working out our salvation with fear and trembling to to understand what Jesus is saying. We shouldn't just blindly accept it. We shouldn't just blindly ignore it. No, no, no. Instead, I I want us today, friends, to, with a spirit of humility, approach these words of Jesus and, and just ask the question, if these are true, if this is true, if Jesus really means this, why would I follow him? If, if I want peace and he says, I'm not here for peace. If I want family and he says, I'm not here for your family. If I want life and he says, I'm not here for your life. What are you doing following Jesus? Now's a bad time to leave the message, by the way. Because Jesus has some answers. I think they're embedded in what he says. And so let's turn our attention to the text. Everybody knows that... Um, when you've got a, a question like this, a tension that's so thick, you don't know what to do with it, the best thing to do is to dive back into the Bible, amen, and see what God has to say about it. So what I want us to do is just, just see why should we follow Jesus today. I think Jesus gives us three really great reasons that why we should follow him. The first, it comes out of this, and it's really simple. It's because the struggle is to be expected. The struggle is expected. The struggle is not a surprise that, that, that we would be encountering as Christians opposition in this world is not a new thing. Jesus knew it was coming, and so he says, hey, listen, I've not come for peace. I've come for a sword. Jesus knows the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Look at the person next to you and just say, hey, the struggle is real. Just go for it. The struggle is real. We don't think it's real, We think of Christmas, the time when Jesus came from heaven to earth in the form of a baby. The angels announced on the hillside to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest. And we hear in the back of our minds Charlie Brown and Lionel Linus saying, peace on earth, goodwill to men. The problem is what the Bible actually says is this. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Which means the peace of God is not a universal peace. It means the peace of God is a qualified, special peace. It's a kingdom of God peace which comes to those who have joined in his kingdom or will join in his kingdom. It comes to those who please God by accepting his rule and his reign in their lives. See, Jesus came not to bring peace, but to set up a kingdom. And when you try and set up a kingdom in the place where another kingdom is functioning, you better expect a struggle. And this is the whole concept of war. We've we've never backed down from a war because we knew there was going to be a fight. And yet when it comes to Christianity, when, when it comes to being 
uh, persecuted and, and being treated with hostility by the world, some people act as if this should not be. I'm a loving person. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Jesus type of person. I follow Jesus. Like, why, what do you have against me that you come after me this way? And Jesus says, listen, if you're going to follow me, you should expect to struggle. You should, you should know that it's coming, that there's going to be a fight. I think if Jesus could rewrite this today, he might say this to his disciples. Hey, don't show up to a gunfight with a knife. Don't be surprised the fact that there's going to be a battle. Because I'm coming to do something that the world doesn't love. I'm coming to overthrow its system and set up something better. But it's going to cost us something. There's tremendous Jesus here by, you know, tremendous genius here by Jesus. And um, maybe I could point it out to you this way, uh, maybe using just a regular illustration of my kids' lives growing up. My, my kids, they, they got to go to the doctor. It seems like every, I don't know, like six days they go. <laughs> Hospital's got us in some, like, thing, you know, health plan thing. We're always there. And um, my daughter, she's, she's three, and she started playing doctor. She loves playing doctor. I built her a little like waiting room in our, in our basement so she could play doctor and call her patients in. And I'm trying to find a preschool that'll enroll her also in med school. Um, just ride that gravy train for a while. She loves it. She, she's all about doctors and medical stuff and healing. And, and I think it's because she's been to the doctor so many times. And every time she goes to the doctor, she asks us these three questions without pause. She goes, do I have to go to the doctor? Do I have to get a shot? Is it going to hurt? Do I have to go to the doctor? Do I have to get a shot? Is it going to hurt? Do I have to go to, yes, you have to go. Do I have to get a shot? Is it going to hurt? Elin. And how you answer this question as a parent tells you a lot about your honesty or your pain tolerance, but mostly your honesty. If I were to tell my daughter, no, 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 don't worry about it. It's not going to hurt. Don't just, just, just do it. She will look at me with betrayal in her eyes when she gets that shot. You said it wouldn't hurt. How could you? Right? Some of your parents did this to you. I'm bringing up bad memories. I'm sorry. But if I tell her the truth, if I say, yeah, baby, it's going to hurt. It's going to help you. It's going to be over in a second. But yeah, it's probably going to hurt a little bit. The moment she walks through the pain for the purpose of health, she knows that she can trust me because I was honest with her. Because I didn't hold that back from her. I didn't, I didn't spare her from the pain, but I let her go through it for her good. And Christian, how encouraging is it to us that Jesus does not lie to us? Amen? Like, who here is excited that um, Christ came to bring a sword? No one. But knowing that this is his plan and his purpose allows us to endure the pain, doesn't it? We can look at him with trust in our eyes to know that Every moment of this pain is something that you knew about and you allowed it to happen anyway. It's such an expectation in the struggle. We should not be surprised, friends, when there is no such thing anymore as a moral majority. We should not be surprised at the direction that our country goes as if that were a failure of Christianity. No. The real success is when the world changes when we press into God. If I could push this a little bit harder, there's another side of this saying that the struggle is expected that I want to pull out of, 
of Jesus' words here. If you look with me in verse 35, Matthew 10, verse 35, he says this. He says, I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own house. Jesus hits us where it hurts the most right here in our families. Flesh and blood. He says that the preaching of the gospel is going to be like a sword that divides people into two. There are going to be some who accept it and enter the kingdom and some who reject it and fight as enemies against the kingdom. And it might cause problems in this world, but it also might cause problems in your family. And I wonder if this helps us at all to know that what Jesus is doing here is not coming up with his own grandeur of why he came. He's actually quoting Micah chapter 7 verse 6, which says this, almost word for word. It says, for the son treats the father with contempt and the daughter rises up against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies are the men of his own house. You see, in this day when Micah, eight centuries before Jesus says what he says, in this day when Micah is prophesying, he's prophesying about the long-awaited Messiah who is to come and set up God's kingdom here on earth. And when Jesus quotes this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 35, he is quoting this messianic prophecy which the Jews and the Israelites alike would have understood to be the coming sign of the coming kingdom. For Jesus to say the struggle is expected is in one way to say, hey, you've been waiting for this for eight centuries and even longer. You thought that this would happen in your family, that, that, that when the Messiah comes, there will be division amongst you. And I want you to know that I have come to do just this. For eight centuries, you've been imagining that this is what the world would be like. And I'm here today to tell you that when the kingdom of God is preached in my name, there will be some even in your family who will hear it and be softened to it. And there are others who will be hardened to that message and reject it. And they'll reject you. And it's hard for me as a pastor, just to be completely honest with you, to, to look around this room and not cry. Because I know. I know what's going on in your family. I know what your faith has cost you. I know the division that exists between you and your kids and your kids and themselves or you and your parents. And don't we at some level cry out, like, God, why do I have to choose between you and my family? Like, why does it have to be this either or? Why can't your coming actually have just harmonized everything? Why must there be pain? Why must there be struggle? Why does a son grow up and find for a spouse someone who hates God? And all of a sudden, over a couple of weeks and months, it pulls your son away from your family and away from God to the point where Christmas comes and goes and you don't hear from him. We ask God, why? And the reason is found in the next verse, verse 37. Jesus says, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
Everybody say more than. The issue is not whether or not your family is a good thing to love. The issue is whether you love God more than your family. Could you pledge your allegiance to Christ and his kingdom more than to your own last name? Even this struggle, Jesus says, is to be expected. Jesus knows how much of a pull it is for our families to be an idol in our lives. Man, as a parent of of two, hopefully three very quickly, uh, kids, I can tell so much of my heart is wrapped up around the finger of a three-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy. So much so that I, I, I would do anything for them. And that's the heart that Jesus calls out in me and he's calling out in you to, to say, whoever loves that more than me, like are you willing to let go of your, of your kids to press into me? Are you willing to let go of that relationship with your parents to press into me? Not to cause a war, but to know that when the fight comes to you, it's been expected. You say, Dan, you are not helping me want to follow Jesus. And so I want to go to the second point here. We follow Jesus because the struggle is expected. It doesn't surprise him. And when we know it's coming, it helps us stay with it. The second thing that Jesus shows us here, why would we even want to follow Jesus? Well, verse 38, I want to say it this way, the victory is already accomplished. In this war and this struggle here between flesh and blood, this war that Paul says it's not just between flesh and blood, but but between rulers and spirits and authorities. The war is already over. It's a great spot for you to amen, but just hang on to that. More, More are coming, okay? More are coming. Jesus says this. He says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And I want to draw this out because embedded in this short verse is, is, is what Jesus shows us as the gospel. What, what Jesus shows us is the good news, the, the good news that the victory is won. And to get there, we have to understand what the disciples would have known about what the cross was. It was highly unlikely at this moment that, that the disciples of Jesus would have understood that Jesus was saying to them, hey, I'm going to go to die on a cross and it's going to be okay because through that I'm going to rise from the dead. They wouldn't have known nothing of that. For, for the disciples to take up the cross, the only thing they knew about that was that it was the, the Roman way of executing people with tremendous pain and agony. To hear the words, take up your cross and follow me, those were the exact words that a Roman guard would say over someone who was condemned to die, over a criminal. Someone would be placed on trial, found guilty of a heinous crime, and they would be sentenced to death by crucifixion. And that criminal, that moment that he is condemned, the Roman soldier looks upon him and says, take up your cross and follow me. And at that moment, he is handed a a beam of wood, of lumber. It's humiliatingly told to drag it on a one-way road to death. And he follows the Roman centurion to wherever it would be that he would be hanged. I would love to be a fly on the wall at this moment to see the disciples' reaction, wouldn't you? As they kind of scratch their head and they go, did I just sign up to die? But for them, it would all make sense just months later. 
as our own Lord Jesus was betrayed. And peace in Rome was turned on its head as all of the Jews and the Romans came out to fight with Jesus. And they captured him. And they beat him. And they exhausted him of his strength. They gave him the piece of lumber. And they told him, take your cross and follow me. And with whatever strength he had in that moment, he got up off the ground with this beam of wood strapped to his back. And as best he could, he tried to get down that road to the ultimate place that they called the skull. And they placed him on the cross. And they drove nails into his hands and into his feet. And they took the spear that he said was coming, the sword, and they pierced his side. And on that cross, the disciples saw what they were most afraid of, death. They saw their Messiah, their leader, crucified at the hands of the Romans. And for the disciples, the cross was nothing to be happy about. The, the, the cross was only the place where you would die. For Jesus to tell them, take up your cross and follow me then, it's, it's, it's really strange. You see, the demand of the kingdom really is that we lose. Look at verse 39 with me. Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, you will actually find it. Whoever finds, that means whoever spares their life, whoever tries to go around this persecution, whoever tries to circumvent it, thinking that they're winning, whoever tries to seek pleasure or, or fame or money or security outside of God, going around their cross, you think you're winning your life, but you're going to lose it. And Jesus says, whoever surrenders their life to me is actually in the end going to find that they don't lose, they win. And I wonder what the disciples thought that moment that they saw their Savior hanging on the cross. During the hours on the cross, we see three things taken from Jesus. First, his peace and his liberty are exchanged in the violent acts against him as his side are pierced with the sword. And he has his peace removed. Second, his family and his identity is challenged. The Jews, who are his own people, his racial family, they disown him to the point that above his cross is written the sign, here's the king of the Jews, and they, they fight with the Romans. They say, no, 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 we don't want to be associated with that God. Don't write that he's the king of the Jews. He's not the king of us. Just say that he said that he was the king of the Jews because we don't want to be affiliated with Jesus. We, we don't want him disowned by his entire family of people. And do you remember that moment on the cross when Jesus cries out to his Father in heaven, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the face of the Father is set against the Son. Do you remember that moment on the cross where Jesus is looking down and he sees his earthly mother Mary getting old in years? And next to her is the disciple that Jesus loved the most. And in this moment, Jesus rearranges his family. He says, woman, behold your son. And son, Behold your mother. As if to say, 
I can no longer be in your family with you. He will take care of you as if it was me. Jesus' peace was taken from him. His family was taken from him. Finally, his very life was taken from him. As he surrendered to the execution, as he gave up his breath and he died, by all accounts, by the account of the disciples, the religious leaders, and the Romans, Jesus was defeated. That was the end of it. Close the book on him. He's done. Jesus took up our cross, and it cost him his peace. It cost him his family. It cost him his life. And was it worth it? For the disciples, the cross was an ending spot. It was a finish line to failure. How many of you know that a good gospel message always has a good but in the middle of it? But, thank you. But, but for Jesus, it was not the end. It was the way to victory. Because three days after he was killed, at just the moment where the disciples in the world thought that he had been dealt the knockout punch, he got up. He got up out of the grave as easily as he laid his life down. He took it back up. He said, nice try. Death and sin are strong enemies, but the power of my God is stronger. No longer are we to be living as strangers held captive by the hostility of sin, but we're made to be free. And so the persecutions of this world, its crosses and its ridicule are not enough to stop Christ now. He's won the victory. And Paul screams this out in one of his letters as he writes, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, for those who follow Jesus, for you and for me, his victory is our victory. His cross is our cross. His death is our death. His life is now our life. This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Friends, this is the mystery of the gospel, that, that, that his cross is my cross, that his death is my death, that I've lost my life, but somehow Jesus has found it for me. So for the disciples, taking up the cross was failure, but for us, what this means for us to take up our cross then is to share in the sufferings of Jesus, to be counted worthy as one of his followers to suffer with him, knowing that this battle and this war does not lead to death, but it leads ultimately to everlasting life. For you and I to take up our cross and to follow him is to, one way, endure the same suffering that it cost Jesus. We might lose peace. We might lose our families. You might lose your life. But in the end, 
What does it matter if a man gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? That is what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. He says, whoever would seek to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's the most quoted sentence that Jesus ever said. Seven times in the gospel, more than any other saying, Jesus is quoted saying this in the gospels. The reality is that you and I follow someone who was condemned to die. So there might be a moment in your life where you have to stand in the batter's box and take a little heat. I mean, they, they, they beat and they killed our leader. And yet he's victorious. And doesn't that victory allow you and me to endure the same trials that he went through? Which brings me to the last reason that we follow Jesus. You can follow him because the struggle is expected and the victory is accomplished, but maybe the last and most compelling reason I know why we follow Jesus is because of this. The rewards. The rewards are irresistible. The rewards of following Jesus are irresistible. Like Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. Something you think you're never going to have. But infinitely better, right? Infinitely better. Isn't it funny how all our desires and our values come to us in this life through a struggle? If we want peace, that means war. And we often go through war to get to peace. If you want a family, that means labor. I'm glad my wife has left because I don't want to remind her of this point. She's like ready to have a kid any moment. But labor is a cruddy thing, right? Not something that anyone would choose to voluntarily like be happy about. And yet the pride of a mother holding that baby in her arms is something that makes it all worth it. To have a family, it costs us something, doesn't it? If you want to live a long life, we discipline ourselves and we exercise and we down kale shakes because it costs us something. And the same is true with Jesus. It, it costs us something, but the rewards are irresistible. Irresistible. I, I, I want to maybe highlight this phrase, irresistible, this way. When I was dating Kristen, um, her and I didn't really have too many hesitations about getting married um, I knew, though, that I should, I should propose to her before she figured out that I was getting the better end of the deal. So I didn't wait too long. And as I was dating her, trying to get engaged, I was stashing away money as much as I possibly could because I wanted to buy a ring. And um, you heard how many, like, months of salary is supposed to be for the ring? Three months. I heard three months. You pay three months' worth of salary. Some of you ladies need to look at your man right now and be like, dude, what's up? Three months, not two days. So um, I took my part-time job and got three months' worth of that and spent more money on this little piece of jewelry than I ever spent on anything. I remember, I remember um, standing at the counter with the ring, giving them cash, and, and thinking, this is the amount of cash that's worth one of my cars. This is the amount of cash worth two of my cars. The amount of cash worth three. Eight times my car is what I gave her in a ring. Eight times. Eight tells you more about the car. And you know what I didn't think? I didn't at one moment think, man, I'm a sucker. 
man, I'm getting taken. Man, I'm losing my life. Not, not once. With glad submission, I handed over all that I had worked towards. I could have bought me eight 1990 Toyota Corolla SR5s. <laughs> and you would have thought better of me if I had those. No, I was so excited. The reward of this ring and proposing and being able to spend a lifetime with the person that I love and to be able to express that to her was worth more than I could pay. I would do it all over again. I would pay more money if I could. Give more to it if I could. Why? Because the rewards, they're irresistible. And that's the same with Jesus. Notice again, one more time, I want to read this verse, verse 39. Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And this is the rewards of the demands of the kingdom. The demand is that you lose, that you give up. But the reward is what Jesus offers us in, in true life. In all the ways that Jesus rewards us, I want you to see how amazing this is. Jesus, he, he, he gives us all that we want, all that we were made for, all that we desire. It all finds its satisfaction in Jesus when we follow him. So Jesus then is our peace, our true peace. While his first coming didn't necessarily bring peace on earth in the sense that we thought of with kumbaya on a campfire, we find that when he took up his cross, he brought the peace of heaven down to earth. And Paul writes in lofty language, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. Which means that, Christian, you and I have the peace of God because Jesus took up his cross. You and I have the peace of God, which is a kingdom of God peace that lets you sleep at night, which lets you know that your sins are forgiven, which lets you know that when those in this life have something against you, you have an advocate who can fight your battle for you. You don't have to fight and engage it. You know that you've got someone who's going to claim the ultimate victory in your life. You have the peace of God. You have the satisfaction of God. He is our true peace. And while following Jesus may bring discord in our family, John, in similarly lofty language, he writes in his gospel in John chapter 1, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gives us our rights back to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You see, Jesus came to call us out of our families into a new family, the family of God. The family of those who believe in him. Which means, Rich, you and I are brothers in Jesus. I've got very little DNA in common with you. Ancestry.com can prove otherwise. But as far as you, and yet Christ unites us and calls, calls me brother with you. And all around this room, we are brothers and sisters in a new family. And Jesus' family doesn't usurp our first family, but it does become the priority. Which is an amazing thing to realize that while you may feel abandoned by your parents or by your siblings, you have family here because of the blood of Jesus who will never let you go. We have family here where it's worth gathering every week to get together. And if you're here today, you're a part of this family. We want you to be part of this family. I could say so much more about that, but for time's sake, I want to finish this and, and say this is the last reward that Jesus gives us, and appropriately, it's, it's our life. 
He is our true life. John 3.16 makes this bold declaration that out of, out of God's love, he sent Jesus and that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. Jesus says in John 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 4 that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we'll appear with him in glory. But, but I like what John says in, in 1 John chapter uh, 5. He says, this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So why would you ever follow Jesus? Because at the end of the day, Jesus shows us that it's by taking up our cross and submitting to him that actually the things that we want in this world, peace and family and, and life, are all given to us by him. But listen, the reward doesn't come without a struggle. The reward doesn't come with no cost. There is a demand that Jesus places on us. It's that you would lose. That you would consider yourself crucified with Christ. Your desires no longer living. Your ambitions no longer living. Your hopes and your dreams and selfishness are no longer living, but instead Jesus wants you to live with his hopes, his dreams, his ambitions. And here's where I want us to sit today as we close this time together. I want to invite Stephen to come up. and I want to do something today that I don't think we've ever done here at this campus, but I, I want you to, 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 to go along with me in this. It's one thing for me to explain the theology and to button it all up really nicely in a neat package where we can all walk away and say, Jesus is my peace, he's my life, he's my family. But where this hits the road in your life is that thing that you're holding on to, that Jesus is saying, let that go. And you're too afraid for it. See, until you can trust Jesus with your peace and your family and your life, you will never be able to say, Jesus, you're my king. You'll always be living a double life. You'll always be trying to go around the cross as opposed to picking it up and following him. And so right now, I just want to take a moment. We're going to have a moment of prayer and reflection here. I want you to consider the things in your life, maybe that one thing in your life that, that you need to give that over to God, that you know is a cross that you don't want to bear, but you know that that's what he's calling you to. For many of us right now, we need to do business with God to release the idols of our kids, to trust Jesus with our, our families. And some of our kids are living in a way that is against the kingdom of God. And you've been afraid of what might happen if you were to keep following after God wholeheartedly. And I wonder, willing to take up your cross and follow him. For many of us, the pain of our parents and our past has been something we've never let go. And some of us have fought with God because of them. And we need to surrender to that.